communion today, the Lord's table. So we are going to be taking our break from the series on addiction. It's going to be interesting when we hand out the uh, elements for communion because we're creatures of habit. And you can tell this morning we're a little bit off on the offering. So you're going to have to... It's amazing when things change and people are like, I don't know what to do. Where am I supposed to sit? Well, we are going to be taking a break. And oh, by the way, the children are dismissed for Children's Church. I think that most of them already took off. I want to talk about this this morning. I want to talk about, maybe you saw in your bulletins, the church is made of yous, not pews. The church is made of yous, not pews. Now, I don't know if yous is actually a word. It, I don't think it is. Spellcheck said it wasn't a word on the PowerPoint. I want to talk about that this morning, and I want to really talk about what church is, and we're going to be using as a springboard the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. And I want to speak about this for a couple different reasons, because I've, I've spoke before, and it's been a couple years ago, on the same thing I'm going to talk about today pretty much. But I like to review on what the church is because I believe as a culture we get confused of what the church actually is. And as a, as a group of believers, we can get kind of confused when we get a new set of chairs and we get carpet because we start to think that the church is the building. It was interesting when we had Don Peterson's funeral here and there was a lady that came in before the funeral and I don't know, I've never seen her before. She was probably in her 70s, somewhere around there. And she was in the back of the church, and she was, you know, pretty vocal about this. And she said, I cannot believe this church. They're getting rid of these pews here. I cannot believe that. And so I didn't say too much. And she went on, and she was telling people that they're getting rid of these pews here. And then she was up front here. I had to kind of think because the pews aren't here now where she was. But then she was up here before the funeral. They're getting rid of these pews. They're going to ruin this church. I don't think she's ever been here before. I didn't recognize her. And she was very concerned that we were getting rid of the pews. It was interesting because during the service, I had mentioned in a story talking about Don, about how he wasn't really excited about getting rid of the pews either. He liked the pews. And how that he had said, you know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, that it wasn't about the pews, it was about people. And he really liked seeing the young couples and the young people being at church, and so that was what was most important. When I was sharing that, that we were getting rid of the pews, there was about three or four people out during the service that were like, <laughs> When I mentioned getting rid of the pews, I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, there was like one there and one over here. They were making sure that... I've never seen them before. They've never been to our church, but we weren't supposed to get rid of the pews. And it concerns me when, as people, we start thinking of the church as being this building and the church being the pews. Now, if you wanted the pews to stay in here and we got chairs, I'm not picking on you at all. I titled this, you know, the church is made of views, not pews, because I couldn't find anything to rhyme with chairs, okay? The church is made of chairs, not bears. I worked on it all week. And I was like, nah, this doesn't work. So I had to go with the pews. But the problem is we start to think as people that the church is this building. It's these chairs. It's the communion table. It's the piano. It's the light bulb that my great-grandmother gave to the church, you know, that we don't change. It might be out, but my great-grandmother gave that light bulb, so... It's part of the church. 
And so we start to think of the church as being the church building, and that concerns me. Last year, at the beginning of Adventure Club, because I taught on this at the beginning of the year, I told the kids every day, I said, what is the church? I would ask them that every Wednesday night. And they would say, the church is not the building, it's the people. To try to get that in their mind, the church is not this building. So I'm doing that to correct some wrong thinking, and I'm doing it to correct some of my own wrong thinking. Because as we put these chairs in here and put the carpet down this week, I look at this, and I don't know if you're like me, but I look at it and I say, this is nice. And I think, we should have people sit on these, because they're going to ruin them. Okay, when the chairs came, this is how they were wrapped up here, okay? I like this here. This is how they were wrapped. They had plastic on the top, on the bottom, and even the legs, and you have to take all that off. Even each one of the legs has got plastic on it. And I was thinking, maybe we should just leave that on there. You know what I'm talking about? Because this probably comes from my great-grandmother because her whole entire house, everything was covered with plastic. She had a 1960s Rambler car. I don't know if this was factory, but it was all covered in plastic in there. And I'm not talking about normal type of light plastic like this. Like, you couldn't shoot a hole through it. And she would always say, she had one chair that was a nice chair that didn't have plastic on it. We'd go to sit on it. She'd be like, you boys sit in that plastic. <laughs> and I was thinking, maybe we ought to leave that, that plastic on here, especially for a venture club or for some of you. Um, <laughs> it has been mentioned, it has already been brought up, you knew that this was going to come up, about the food because some have said, well, this looks so nice, maybe we shouldn't have food in here. Because we started to have food on Sunday mornings and you know, some suggested maybe not have it any farther than, you know, the pillars. Keep it on that side. We're going to put up an electric fence, I guess. <laughs> if, you, if you bring food on this side, you're going to get a ticket. But the problem is that when we do something like this, we start to think, what, the church is the building. And we start to think, now we got new chairs and new carpet, and so maybe we shouldn't use them. Maybe they should be just sitting there with nobody in them. And I have seen that happen in churches before. The previous church we were at, they built a fellowship hall. Now they built it with high ceilings in it, just as high as these or if not higher, with the intention of letting the kids play basketball and volleyball in there. High ceilings. But once they built it, they started looking around and said, we wouldn't want any kids to be playing in this fellowship hall. And they wouldn't let the kids use it for youth group because they might scratch up the walls. They might damage the carpet. And so they weren't able to utilize it for that. And I'm somebody that, I'm kind of bent that direction. I like to keep things nice, okay? That's just who I am. Now, mostly with guns and shoes. And what I will do is I will buy one gun and put it up and then buy another gun and shoot it, okay? Because you always got one gun you're put up, you know? And I do the same thing with shoes. And we can start to have that mentality of the church and this building. And the chairs that we have here and the carpet that we have here, these are tools. These are tools because they are not the church. So I want to talk about that today. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's trying to explain to people that the church is not the building necessarily, it is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Paul's saying here, and we're going to talk about it more today, you are the body of Christ. It's not the pews, it's you that make up the church. So I want to review, we've talked about this before, what is the church? 
And the English word for church comes from the Scottish word, which means Kurt. It's Kurt. It was Kurt, and somebody didn't have the hearing aid. and said, we're going to Kurt, and somebody said, church? And they said, Kurt, Grandpa, church? Yeah, church, whatever. I don't know how it happened, the etymology of that word, but it became church. Okay? It went from Kurt to church. And if you look at the Greek word, it has nothing to do with church as the sound, but it means an assembly or called out. I'm not going to try to attempt the Greek word there. But the New Testament word for church was assembly or to call out. When they spoke about church, they didn't think of a building with a sign in front, with chairs that you're sitting in and you listen to some pastor on Sunday morning. When they talked about the church, they were talking about a group of believers that was meeting together. Never about the building. And we started somewhere, starting to think it was the building. For the first 400 years of the church, they never owned buildings. Never owned buildings. It was all in homes for 400 years. And then we started to own buildings, and the first argument was, you know, what color of dirt are we going to have on the floor? You know? There was some argument, I'm sure, that happened when they started to have church buildings because the church then became the building. But it's an assembly or to be called out. Church occurs, that word, in the New Testament, 114 times in the NIV translation. And as I said, it refers to called out of the world believers. Called out of the world believers. That's what it's saying. If you saw a parade of people that were just walking along, like just robots, just drones, and you were yelling at those people, hey, Step out of that parade, step out of that line, and come with us. We have a different way to whatever you're going to. Because you're heading the wrong direction. The bridge is out in front of you. We know the right way. And hopefully there would be some people that would snap out of it and would get out of the line, and they would say, okay, I, I don't want to be involved in this line anymore. We're heading the wrong direction. I believe you. What is the right direction? And so out of the hundreds of thousands of people that would be filing by, you would have two or three people, maybe 10 or 20, that would say, I'm getting out of line. I'm doing something else. I'm going with this group over here. I've been called out. And so when the church is being used here, it's people that are responding to this being called out. They hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the Son of God, that came and died on the cross for their sins, but he wasn't just buried and just stayed there. He rose from the dead and proved all of it. And when people hear that message, they respond to it and they get out of the line. They get out of this mindless parade of the world that they're in and they become a part of a group. And Paul refers to the church in their house. He's not talking about the church building. He never talks about the church building when this word church is used. Romans 16.5, it says, Greet the church that is in their house. Greet the church. He doesn't say go up to this building on O Street and greet the building. He says go and greet the church, which is what? The people that are gathering together in this house. The church is always people. So what is the church if we were to define that? The church is the body of Christ. And Christ is the head. It's kind of a hard concept for us to wrap our minds around. But scripture speaks about Christ being the head of the body. Of course, we understand the body. 
And we are made up of each one of the members. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because we've talked about that before. Hopefully, we realize as each one of us here in this church today, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ. And each one of you has a different function. Because each one of you have been gifted in a different way. You have been raised different circumstances, which God is going to use, good and bad. And so, as it says in Scripture, that some of you are going to be the hand, somebody might be the finger, somebody might be the little toe. They're all part of the body. You say, I'm just a little toe. Okay, go home, cut your little toe off, and see how you walk around, all right? It's going to hurt. Each part of the body is important. And we're all made up of that. Each one of us has our unique position that we need to be doing in the body. And there's so much scripture that speaks about this. The one I picked is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. And Paul says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, and of course the him is Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Not the church building, the church body, the people. And we are made up in his body body of Christ is made up of believers in Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost until Christ returns. When people first heard the message and they heard it and it was shared and the church was established, those people have been a part of Christ's body and they still are as far as if you're a believer here today until Christ returns. And then he will take his church with him. And we're all a part of that body. This body of, of Christ is comprised of two aspects. The first aspect is the universal church. And that consists of all those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the universal church. It's everybody in the world that has put their faith in Jesus. So that means if you're in Malaysia, if you're in Australia, wherever you're at, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are part of this universal body. Now that's a big body. But we're all called to be a part of that, and we are a part of that when we place our uh, faith in Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, We were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Greek or Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one Spirit to drink. What he's saying there is that when you've accepted Christ, it doesn't make any difference what your color is, what your background is, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. You are now all the same in the family. You're all equal parts of the body because it's made of people. The universal church is all, all those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and have received the Spirit of Christ as evidence. So that's the first one, the universal church. The second thing is the local church. And the local church consists of a local body that gathers the members together of the universal church. So you can think of it this way. This is the way my mind thinks. It's a body within a body. The universal church is this body of Christ. And inside that, there's a bunch of little bodies, right? There's a bunch of little churches, little groups gathering together. And they make up that bigger body. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Paul speaks about this smaller body here. Paul says... Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Now, this was an area. It wasn't necessarily one church, but he's speaking about the local church in this area. 
So really, today we have it a little mixed up from what it was in biblical times because they didn't have all these little churches. They would have the church of Kozad. And you wouldn't have 14 churches in town like we do. You would just have one church. And they would say the church of Kozad. And that might even include, if you were going off biblical times, that might even include Gothenburg, Lexington, you know, maybe a 50-mile radius. So all these people were a part of a church. Now, they didn't have this big mega church, you know, with flat screen TVs and the smoke machine and all that type of stuff. They were all little home churches. Because remember, they didn't have a church building. They were meeting in homes. But when he said these group of believers, he's speaking about an area. Because even though that they would meet together in their homes, most of the time they would do something as a large assembly. Now, they didn't have a worship service and have a band come in and all that stuff. Usually they did projects for other people. For orphans or for widows or whatever the need was, you would have a bunch of these home churches that would get together and they would say, you know, the 10 of us that meet in this home are going to meet up with the 12 of you and we're going to, you know, redo this home or this lady, whatever the situation was that they got together. So they were a group of believers even though they were in small churches. Probably they didn't have the arguments like we do today because today we have some difference on scripture and how we interpret scripture and, and some of those things are really small. We argue about them and some are pretty heavy and they, they add a lot to um, our spiritual growth and so we separate ourselves out as churches we disagree. But back in that day there probably wasn't that much disagreement. These members of the Universal Church should regularly meet together to do the work of God that the church was given to do. So the local church is gathered for a purpose. And those purposes are in Scripture. We're going to not take time to go through each one of them through Scripture, but I'm going to mention them. The local church meets for worship and teaching, prayer, and fellowship. To equip the saints, it talks about that in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. For exhortation, we've got that. We've got to exercise spiritual gifts for the training of leaders to evangelize the world and for accountability and discipline. These are all roles of the church. So when we meet together, it's not just to sit on our cushy chairs on our new carpet. We meet here for a purpose. And that purpose is to carry out the work of the church, doing these things. And this is where we start to have the wrong thinking. We think that it's about the building, and it's coming here on Sunday morning, and that's it. All this is, is to get organized, to get um, encouraged, to get ideas, to work as a body, so we can affect those in our lives, whether that's people in the community, in our family, or our friends, and we can grow ourselves so we can help continue to equip them. But unfortunately, in our culture today, we come here for our kind of little holy huddle and we get together and we do our thing and we sit in our chairs. And God says, I have a much bigger plan than that. The local church also has another purpose and that is what we're going to be involved in today. Because Jesus gave us two ordinances, which ordinance, what is that? Well, that's just a command. That's something that Jesus said, I want you to do this. I am commanding you to do it and I would like you to obey me in this. And those two are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, there's been the question before, and I've touched on it before, with the Lord's Supper, some do it once a week. We do it here 
around every four months. Which one's better or worse than the other? Really, there's no answer for that, I don't believe. Um, I believe it's the complete heart intent behind it, no matter how many times you do it. If you do it once a week and, and your heart is into it, and you understand what it is, and that when you're coming to this table, you're, you're worshiping the Lord, great. If you do that every four months, great. The problem is that I see that we get into, once again, the routine. Like I said this morning, we are creatures of habit, and sometimes we can come to this table and let's just hurry up and get it done. Let's get this over with so we can just move on, do what we do. And I don't think that Christ ever intended it to be that way. I can guarantee that. So I'm a little concerned when we're doing it once a week and we're just hurrying up and getting it done. I think also those churches that do it once a year, I think we can start to forget and lose the meaning of it. So hopefully we have a little bit of balance in there. It always goes back to the hard attitude. So as we close up here this morning, I want to ask you some questions. Of course, I've made it clear the church is not the building. But let me ask you this. If this church building burnt down tomorrow, would God not have a home? Because people, I've heard them say it, maybe you've said it, this is God's house. Okay, so the thinking is, if this church building burns down, does God not have a place to live? And of course, I'm being silly there. God would have a place to live because God does not live in a home. But this is the wrong thinking that we can come up with, that we believe that God is kind of a small Sunday morning God. That we believe the church, the building, is the church. And so when we go to the church on Sunday mornings, that's where God is. And so when we leave, God's there. And we go about our week, and God's at the church, in the building. Now maybe we don't consciously think that, hopefully you don't. But subconsciously, I think we think that a lot of times. And God says, I am much bigger than that. Acts 17, Paul speaking to a group of non-believers here. I'm running out of time this morning, but setting this up in the context, they didn't know the true God. They were worshiping idols, and this is in Greece, Athens. And so Paul comes into the city, and he's sharing, and they want him to share in front of a large assembly. And he explains to them, he says, you know, you've made these idols here. And there's one idol that you made here of your hands, and it says to an unknown God, and he says, I know that God. But the thing is, the God that I know, he does not live in a temple. He does not need to be served by human hands. He's not a small God. He's not a church God on Sunday mornings. He's bigger than that. So let me ask you another question. If this church building burnt down tomorrow, would God not have a home? And the answer to that is he would have a home. Because the other wrong thing that we have is that God lives in the building or he lives up in heaven. And the truth is of his word is that God's spirit lives in believers, not the building. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you've received from God? He says, this is where God lives. He lives inside of you. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes inside of you. I don't know where he's at. I don't know how it happens. I'm not for sure about any of that stuff. But scripture says that you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside you. Isn't it funny how that we worry about the chairs and the carpet of the church? I mean, not just our church, but any church. But the real temple he lives in, you know, we're eating like a box of donuts, you know, that morning. 
we've got to keep the temple of God, church, God's house, perfect. But yet we don't keep our temple perfect. We don't even try to. And God says, uh, I still live there. Let me ask you another question. If this church building burned down tomorrow, would Kozad Bible Church cease to exist? Would the church just be done? The church building burn? Now, as I was getting this ready, I hope it doesn't burn down tomorrow because I'm going to get blamed for it. I was thinking about that. If it burnt down tonight, if it was gone, I mean level, would the church quiz to exist? Would we say, oh, that's it. It's over. That's it. We're not, we're not, no more church services. No more nothing, nothing. And the answer to that is, you know, that that's not true. So the question is really, instead of what the church is, it's who the church is. Because the church is made of views, not pews. And God wants to build something greater in us than any building. He's just using this building for us. And don't get me wrong, I think we need to keep this building up. I think it's a testimony of the community. I think that we um, have you know, the, the testimony of, of showing that we care about this church, but it is a building. It's a building that we use. And we need to keep that in perspective. So, you know, when, when somebody spills juice on the floor, don't freak out. Remember, it's just a building. And one day, Scripture says that God's going to burn this earth and He's going to burn everything. And maybe it's going to be sooner than we think. And so when we worry about this stuff, because I knew to do it in my own life, you know, when my Ford pickup is starting to rust, and I go, oh my goodness! A Ford rusting! Unheard of! I say, you know what? It doesn't make a whole lot of difference because the Lord's going to come back and that everything's going to burn anyway. It really doesn't make any difference in the big scheme of things of eternity. And I put it in perspective. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to understand it's a memorial. And a memorial, you remember someone's life. We remember the life of Christ. We remember his death, why he died. And it's a time to help us put things in the perspective of eternity. So as we come to this table today, and I'm not just speaking about the church chairs and the carpet here. I'm speaking about our lives. That we're remembering what is important. There's nothing like death to put things in perspective of what's really important in life. And so when we come to this memorial, we're remembering Christ's death. And this encourages us to do some things, hopefully to examine ourselves. Hopefully we acknowledge our sins and need of a Savior. Hopefully we've done that at some point before we come to this table. Hopefully it encourages us to personally testify that we present the message of Christ. That's one of the things that we're doing when we partake of this. Now, we don't have people that are outside the church looking in, but we are proclaiming that we are believers in Christ, that we believe that His body and blood were shed for our sins. And we're strongly confirming that we state our faith and commitment in Him. And hopefully we're expecting, and not just like expecting, like, oh, one of these days Christ is coming back. I guess... Hopefully we're excited about when we come to this table, remembering, putting things in perspective that he is coming back. And so I'm going to ask the guys to come forward today. And as we do this, if you've never been involved with communion, the Lord's table, when we've been partaking of it as this church, 
we have open communion. Now, what do I mean by that? You don't need to be a church member. There are those churches that you need to be a member of or that you had to take a class before you can participate in the Lord's table. We don't ask that here. We only ask one thing, and that's what Scripture asks, not as a, us as a church, that you are a believer in Christ. That there has been a point in your life when you've realized that you're a sinner, that you cannot save yourself, your good is not going to outweigh your bad to go to heaven, that you need a Savior, and you've came to the realization that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the one and only Savior. You've trusted in that, and now that you're hopefully living out that in your life, not perfectly, but passionately, like I always say, and you say, I trust in the work of Christ. Now, another thing, I've never had to share this before, explain this. If you look in front of your chairs, some of you have in front of you, hopefully it's every third chair, there are little racks. Now, if you see in the little racks there, there's like a little circle. You see what I'm talking about? That little circle there is to hold your communion cup when you're done, okay? And you're thinking, so we have to fight for that one little holder there. Yes, absolutely. Whoever gets it first there gets a prize. Oh, I got you. Now, no fighting. What you do is you stack them up. So someone puts theirs in there, and somebody, and you're not going to get any prize who's first in there, and somebody stacks them on up. So hopefully they fit in there. I thought that when I was out there this morning, you're going to drop it, it's going to go right through. I don't know. It's not like a big gulp, you know, holder there. So when you get done, you can place them in there. And as we hand these out also, I would say that um, for kids, you know, people always ask about that. Are kids allowed to participate in communion here? Absolutely, if they understand what it's about and they have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to have the guys hand these out. And as we're handing these out this morning, once again, I would just be encouraging you to think about what does this mean as far as eternity? How is this helping me put things in perspective?
for us the last night that Jesus had on the face of this planet. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Don, would you pray for the bread? Take of the bread. Scripture goes on to say in the book of Matthew, and when he had given, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the goodness, for, for the goodness of sins. So would you pray for the juice for us, please? 
Take. We close word of prayer, Lord. Once again, we thank you that we can come to your table. And Lord, I pray that as we come here, I pray that this isn't something that we just do out of routine as we talk today. I pray that we do it out of a heart condition of our devotion to you. I pray that it brings to mind as we've talked just that um, you came and died on the cross for our sins and you took care of the penalties of the past of our sins, that you are working in our lives in the present and in the future that you will be coming back and Lord, that you're going to set everything straight. And Lord, when we put it in the uh, perspective of eternity, uh, this life is very short. And Lord, um, with the death, a lot of times that gives us the, uh, the motivation to rethink our life and maybe sometimes redirect it. And Lord, I pray as we come to this memorial service today, I pray that maybe we might have to do that in our lives. Maybe there's some things that we need to change. And Lord, I, I pray that we've been talking about addictions. I pray that, uh, uh, that we would have our hearts changed by your word and that we would just start to maybe take a different, different just direction in our lives, Lord. So I pray that this would just encourage us to do that. We give you thanks for this morning and just the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismissed.